Welcome to the Reimagined Podcast, a podcast that seeks to reimagine faith and life and community as we link, learn, and live together. I'm Greg English, along with Brad Hoffman and Brian Dupuy. Today, on episode 59, we have an intra-faith conversation with Brad Jerzak. Welcome to the podcast, everybody. Hey. Hello. Howdy. <laughs> Always something different with you. <laughs> hey, guess what? Uh, what? Yeah. Baseball is back in River City. Uh, Ooh, it is. It is. is. So right? River City, to the for those of you listening, River City would be Richmond, Virginia. Right? Yes. Right. And so baseball is back. We started on uh, May 4th, Tuesday night. Right. So while a lot of people were doing their Star Wars celebration, yeah. I was doing my flying squirrels. <laughs> you know, we are the Richmond flying squirrels. Yes. And uh, so I was doing my celebration to opening night at the Diamond. Yeah. So let me tell you how this goes. Open now, wait, night. you were Sounds there? I was there. For opening yes. night. I was open, yes. open oh, okay. night. Tickets. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yes. I got in line like three weeks ago to exchange tickets I had from last year. Yeah. I held my opening day tickets from last year. Because I was like, man, this is, as a historian, like this is historical. I'm, my kids will have these tickets forever that yeah. they knew I was going to go. But COVID canceled. He was night. number 11 in yeah. line. Mm. So this time mm. I got there, I was number 11 in line. Got, <laughs> yeah. Made sure I got my tickets. Yeah. Divided some other tickets up for some other games. Don't yeah. want to spend them all on one night, right? No, sure. You only get 2,900 no. people in there. Right. So and we that, normally have 7,000 or so. We got 2,900 yeah, yeah. in there yeah. right now during the numbers game. I didn't know that was the magic number. Yes. Or, okay. Yeah. So, um, so. I'm fired up, right? I mean, it's opening night. I'm thinking yeah. I should have taken off work that day. Yes. But felt committed to the Lord. Now, did, you, <laughs> did you go full chest paint or no? Full Not chest this time. No, no. I'm going to yeah. tell you why. It was 90 yeah. degrees that day. Oh, yeah. Remember it was hot? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I left to go home, it was a little cloudy. I'm thinking, where's the rain coming from? Yeah. But, you know, I live two blocks from the stadium. Yeah. Greg, Greg walks to the games. Yeah, yeah. That's, That's part right. of tradition, right? Right. So I get home. I'm waiting for Kelly. I mean, I'm fired up. I mean, I'm ready to go. And uh, so I'm like, she comes. I said, you ready? We're walking. And she goes, we're not walking. Yeah. Mm. Okay. This did not come out verbally, but it happened in my mind. Right. I have permission to tell the story too. Yeah. Uh, What do you mean we're not walking? We always walk to the game. It's open night. We're going to walk to the game. We're yeah. not having a marital conflict over whether we're walking to the game or not. Yeah, so this sure. is the banner in my own Two head. blocks. Sure. Two, Two blocks. We're walking to the game. Yeah, yeah. And uh, she goes, well, have you looked? Uh, just quietly. I haven't said all this. Yeah. Well, have you looked outside? Ah, it's cloudy. We'll be all right. She said, look outside. So I went outside. I mean, it's a dark green yeah. cloud. <clears throat> yes. It was pretty. I said, after years of marriage, wisdom. Yeah. Okay, we'll ride. <laughs> But we will not pay to park in that parking lot. I will park two blocks behind our house, across from the ABC store, where I can walk across the street into it. Yeah, right? I'm not go. paying seven yeah, fifty to park right. when I live two blocks right. away. We get in the car, man. The wind's whipping, oh, yeah. the rain's pounding. Yeah. I turn around, I came back. I said, "We're going home. We're not going to sit in the stadium." In this, we came back, sat outside, watched the storm come through. Temperature dropped by twenty degrees. Sun came out. Yeah. We drove two blocks, yeah. <laughs> parked in the spot, went to the game. But it was great to yeah. be there. It was surreal to be there. Yeah, yeah, like, I bet. I just sitting there smelling the grass, looking at the dirt, watching the game. I mean, it was wonderful. Yeah. yeah. It was refreshing to my soul. Yeah. <laughs> See, that's God. That's, that's, that's like renewal, right? No, yeah, no. Wow, that's, a Sabbath unto the Lord. That's theology in sport. You guys yeah. know I've studied sport I theology. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I could talk about it, but I won't. Yeah, yeah. sure, sure. But it was fascinating. It was wonderful. I, too, hope you. And all the listeners experienced the Flying Squirrels in 2021. And you had the whole section to yourself? or I had an outdoor suite. Yes. So let me tell you how this works. They have it where, you can, where you're in groups of how you sit. Uh-huh. My row, the wife thinks I'm fabulous. Yeah. I bought a whole row. Yeah. We had two <laughs> seats in a whole row. Everything was sealed off. Nobody uh-huh. in front of us. Nobody could come beside us and nobody behind us. It was like an outdoor suite. Yeah. Yeah. It was great. Right. All the concessions were open up. I mean, all the games are being played. It was, yeah. it was a big time. Yeah, and as long yeah. as you were eating and drinking, you didn't have to wear a mask. Yes. So, uh, so you ate a lot and drank a lot. So you spent like a hundred dollars. <laughs> um, we, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they were dollar hot dogs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. As long as, uh, as long as you were eating and drinking and staying thirsty, my friends, you yeah. were, you were okay. good. You were good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like baseball well, used to be. Yes. How about that? Yeah. Except so, no one's kicking you behind. Nobody's or, kicking. Uh, my knees aren't crowded. I'm spread out. The wife thinks I spent a fortune wow, on these tickets. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So that was great. So I hope to get to the game. There you go. There you Welcome go. Welcome back to the River City. <laughs> <laughs> I'm 
glad you said that. That's good. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I don't know what y'all are excited about. Not really concerned. I'm just thrilled. Yeah, sure. You <laughs> no, might have something no, you want to add to no, this. I don't know. No, no, as long as you're no, happy. As long as you're as long happy. As you're yeah, happy. Yeah, that's, that's all we care about. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So, so that's good. Yeah. That's good. So that's how we roll. <laughs> well, good. If uh, <laughs> fireworks happened, I mean, it all went down. Oh, they had the fireworks too. Yeah, yeah. Wow. In your face fireworks. Oh yes, yeah, yeah. I've yeah, I've experienced those. Yeah, so it's yeah. pretty good. Yeah, uh, but uh, in the wind, if the wind isn't quite right, yeah, you'll yeah. go home without an eyebrow. I yeah. mean, it's, uh, yeah. it's <laughs> what's really nice is like intense. if I'm not at the game and the yeah. fireworks go off, oh, I get out of my, see it. Yeah. I get off my sofa, I walk outside, and boom, boom, boom. Yeah, and like, come on, honey, right here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's perfect. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, this is a fortunate life. <laughs> That's right. That's right. For the city dweller. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. right. That's right. So anyhow, <laughs> That's good. you guys got anything else you want to add about some fun times you got going? No, we're just glad you're happy. No. Yeah. <laughs> finally. I know. Finally. I know. Finally, I'm thinking right? what I have to look forward to. I'm, I'm going to lose a soccer game on Saturday. Uh, our final one. <laughs> we're going to go completely defeated this season. That's and, good. Uh, that's good. Yeah. Might as well make it that's all straight. You know? yeah, yeah. yeah. Don't want to yeah. change anything up. No. Don't want just one. No, no. Might as well lose them all. Yes. yes. So. Yeah. Well, as we say at the diamond, have fun, go nuts. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Flying squirrels. That's right. Hey. All right. Our official right. Sponsor. So that, that's some simple conversation because <laughs> today is. we got some yeah. good conversation. That's right. It's going to be, right. be yes. a little more challenging than my simple self uh, in the stand. <laughs> so today we yeah. want to uh, welcome Dr. Brad Jerzak to the podcast. Brad is an author and teacher based in Abbotsford, British Columbia, which is a gorgeous place if you've been out in that part of the country. He serves as a reader and monastery preacher at All Saints of North America Orthodox Monastery. He's the Dean of Ministry Studies at St. Stephen's University, where he teaches New Testament, theology, patristics, and philosophy. He also teaches on the core faculty with the Institute for Religion, Peace, and Justice. Brad's the author of more than a dozen books, and he served as a church planner and a pastor. Brad, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. I always like those long, long introductions because it means I'm really obscure, right? Like, you, usually yeah. it would be if you're famous, it's just like, ladies and gentlemen, the president. Yeah. <laughs> we, we, we have built you up. Uh, yeah. That's right. I like that. That's I like right. That. Yeah, that's, that's right. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. So, well, uh, what do you got going on out there in British Columbia? I mean, what hobbies do you do? Uh, hockey season's about to end, or are we going through the playoffs if you're interested in that? Yeah, we're we're kind of flipping channels between basketball because the Raptors are doing uh, oh, poorly, yeah. but you know we're just a few years after our championship yeah, and yeah. over to hockey. But uh, so my wife is actually a bigger sports nut than I am. Uh, I love I love walking and hiking, and so I I trek off into the hills around Abbotsford, the the West Coast Mountains, and the North Cascades that. Actually, are a big part of of Washington State. I just uh, appreciate the time outside like that yeah. when it's not raining. Well, I'm a Cubs fan, so I too do a lot of walking and hiking, and, uh, uh, <laughs> contemplating my life uh, after <laughs> after yeah. the start of this season. So, uh, but it's yeah. great to have you, uh, yeah, and, and really looking forward to to this conversation. This is probably a unique conversation yeah. in in uh, the trajectory of of where we've been. Uh, at in the past year, um, but I think it's uh, really interesting, and I think there'll be a lot to uh, discover and learn. And um, and Brad, I've uh, appreciated your your work in writing and uh, just the generosity with which you interact with people of different uh, traditions. So looking forward to it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. we're going to have a conversation today uh, about Baptists and Orthodox. Yes, like you do. Yes, that's, that's a, a normal pretty, conversation. Pretty typical yeah. conversation around yeah. here. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, just uh, as we get into that, Brad, tell us a little bit about your story, and actually, you know, as Brian alluded to, uh, just your your movement through the different faith uh, traditions, and just a little bit about you. Yeah, thanks. So, um, I grew up in a wonderful conservative Baptist household uh, for twenty years, and then I went off to an even more conservative evangelical Bible college. And, um, and, and when I met my wife there and then graduated with a bachelor's and an MA in biblical studies, all the doors to teaching shut. That was my goal, actually. Mm-hmm. And then her Mennonite church uh, invited me to come on staff as a pastor. So I went from the Baptist to the Mennonites, and I was with them for 10 years. And during that time, we also made a lot of friendships across boundaries with uh, vineyard folks, um, small C charismatics and all of that. And we're really opened up to renewal. And then 
Um, and then we planted a church and that church was focused on people with disabilities and addicts and the, the poor, those on the margins. Mm. And I led that for 10 years. And then my wife co-led it. Uh, no, my wife led it then for five years. Um, <clears throat> but I, I left pastoring at that point. I, I crashed pretty hard in 2008 and one of the things that really was healing for me was sitting under the tutelage of, of a monk uh, in the Orthodox Church. And uh, while I worked on a PhD and licked my wounds, um, he walked me into, into the life of the Orthodox Church, which I ultimately joined in, in 2012, and I've been there ever since. So I've had the benefit of, of really a solid immersion in Baptist um, Anabaptist, charismatic, and orthodox world, and um, my perspective is is that when Paul said we need each other, we're all parts of one body. He wasn't just talking about individuals with their gifts in a church. He was talking about these various parts of the body of Christ across the world. It's going to be fun to talk about this because I would say between Baptist and Orthodox, that is the that is the extreme ends of a spectrum that would be most likely not to consider the other, even Christians at all. And so uh, I, I, I span that and with somewhat of a groin injury, but it's, uh, it's all good. <laughs> Let's talk about Baptist. What, what could Baptists learn from someone in the Orthodox tradition? And uh, what's, what's the first thing you would say on that? The biggest thing. And the first thing is that God is love period but nothing, period. <laughs> um, of course, Baptists would say they believe with the period behind it sometime. And what ends up happening is, but also. And so uh, what we tended to do is, we, as Baptists, we thought we need to balance out the love of God with God's holiness, God's righteousness, God's justice, and God's wrath, and all of these things. The Orthodox would say, no, God, God is simple. He's, God is love. Only every other attribute would be like facets on that one diamond. So it'd be like, sure, he, he's just love. He's holy love. He's righteous love. Even if we talk about his wrath, it can only be as the, the, the loving discipline of a, of a father who cares. And so they're really insistent that we don't create the idea of a righteousness, justice, holiness, or anything like that separate from love because that's a description of the Pharisees who killed the son of God. You know, when you divorce any attribute of God from love, then it's not an attribute of God at all. And so um, uh, when I use that diamond analogy and I say, yes, the, the facets do belong, but they, they're always, always an adjective for the love of God because that's his nature. Um, I, I wish uh, Baptists could embrace that. Many can't. Um, I've been called a heretic by Baptists for believing the historic faith of, you know, the early church fathers from, from where we get this. So what does that look like? Uh, wrath and love. Um, how do those two, what, what can you, can you fill that out a bit more? What, what do you mean when you, Sure. So what that means is if God is love, then we can't say God is literally wrathful. Um, literal wrath is specifically anger that becomes violent, which harms people. That's wrath. It's why it's what called one of the seven deadly sins among the Catholics. Violent anger. It's an, it's an act of violence rooted in anger. Well, the early church fathers like St. John Chrysostom, um, Ambrose, well, I have, a, I have pages of, of quotes by these guys from the first four centuries of the church where they just keep saying, if you, if you ascribe literal wrath to God, you are committing a blasphemy and, an, and you're creating an idol. And so then they would say, so if we're going to use the language of wrath, what we're really describing is our experience of the consequences of sin itself. And they got this from the Jews. Uh, rabbis, even before the time of Christ, used wrath and Satan as synonyms. In other words, it's the wages of sin is death, not the wages of God when I sin. So wrath then became a metaphor 
for God giving us over to our own stubborn defiance. And that's the language that gets used already in the prophets, but Romans 1. He gave them over, he gave them over, he gave them over. In other words, he consents to my choices. When my choices are to turn from God and create a shadow, what happens in that shadow really is on me. And it's not God causing it, but sometimes the Bible will describe that as wrath. So it's important that we don't literalize it. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Yeah. So what, what, what would you say the second, second piece of learning we could take? Well, an extension from there then is how you see the cross. Um, as a young Baptist, I was taught that the, that I was taught penal substitutionary atonement, which said this, God cannot actually just forgive sin. He's not free to do that, which I believe now to be a heresy, <laughs> but, uh, and I, the whole point of the, prophet Hosea was that God is actually free to forgive sin. But what we had said as Baptists was, well, no, God has to punish sin in order to forgive it. He can either punish it in you forever in hell, or he can punish it in your place in his son on the cross. And he does this by pouring his wrath out. There's that wrath wrath out on, on Jesus. What the Orthodox say is, no, that would be pagan because that's about wrath appeasement. There has to be this sacrifice that, and we were even taught in seminary, uh, Baptist seminary, you know, that that propitiation was sort of like throwing a virgin in the volcano to ease up the volcano god. It's like, really? That's what we're, we think our gospel is like that? And the, the Orthodox say, no, as the Apostle Paul says, where where is God on Good Friday? God is in the, on, on the cross, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their sins against them. So you can't divide the Trinity. We believe in one God. And we certainly can't say Jesus ceased to be God So, like the, at any time. So this idea that the, the father had to turn from his son because his son somehow became sin, uh, something's off about that where you reduce Jesus to being less than God. So we just simplify it. We're like, Zechariah 12, where is God on the cross? Yahweh says, you will look on me, the one you've pierced. So Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, through the Son, are on the cross as we pour out our wrath on God, and he responds with forgiveness. And so that's quite a different view of the cross. And and then the question is, well, if it's not wrath, why does Jesus need to die? It's like Jesus needs to die so that he can enter into death and rescue those who've died. Um, so, so they make it more about a rescue from 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 death than a punishment of sin. So it's quite a different view of the cross. Yeah, yeah, interesting. All right. So the first one, uh, God is love. The second one is uh, the work. What What are we talking about? Uh, the work of the cross. Yeah, yeah. That on the cross, God was not punishing mm-hmm. Jesus. Mm-hmm. Rather, God was in Christ, yeah. reconciling the world to himself. Yeah. Good. All right. Number three. Um, you know, when I was a, a, a Baptist kid, we we talked a lot about when you when when did you get saved, brother? I was saved when. Wait, I like so the you, fact. Yeah. I like the fact you even dropped the brother. In there. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you ain't. Tra- you, no, that's, yeah. that just solidified. Yeah. You really were a trained Baptist. Yeah. Oh, I, full on. The native tongue. Yeah. yeah. The native, native tongue. tongue. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I, that was twenty years of, of my language, and yeah. so what we meant by saved was well, um, the day I invited Christ into my heart or gave my life to Jesus or prayed the sinner's prayer. So it was, there was very clear distinction of before and after that Uh, 10 minutes before I prayed the sinner's prayer, I was not saved and I was going to hell 10 minutes after I prayed the sinner's prayer, I was saved and I'm going to heaven. And you would actually write down the date when you were saved in the back of your Gideon Bible, right? That they gave us in, in elementary school. Um, The Orthodox don't see salvation that way. Um, they see it more as a journey uh, with a past, present, and future dimension. So it would be like this. I was saved 2,000 years ago when Romans 5 says, Christ died for me while I was yet his enemy. And he said, it is finished. It's accomplished. What is? Well, my salvation's accomplished. So there's that past dimension. There's also a future dimension. I'm not yet resurrected. 
I'm still going to die. I, I've not yet been glorified. So there's a future dimension of my resurrection that's really important that has not happened yet. Um, in between the cross and my resurrection, I live this life. And on that life, there is a journey. And that, and that salvation is a process by which I move, uh, not just, it's not just like I was declared not guilty and now I'm fully Christ-like. It's like, no, I'm, I'm being transfigured from glory to glory into the image of Jesus. And yes, that has some waypoints that include the day I gave my life to Jesus, that include the time when I was baptized, that include uh, those times when I've turned back to God from waywardness, uh, that included powerful charismatic experiences or whatever. I, you know, I can just think of all these landmarks along the journey um, where, where I'm like, well, which one was I really saved at? It's like, it kind of doesn't work that way. It's more like I'm, I'm being saved. If being saved means um, my my transformation towards Christ-likeness. And this is all in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, towards the end. It's the, that that we, uh, we who, when we turn to Christ, we all behold the Lord um, and our faces are unveiled. And, and now we, we are transformed or transfigured literally from glory to glory into his image. So that, I, I'm not done that. I've not yet arrived. I'm, I'm a, I'm a salvation in process. So, so for the Orthodox, then there's this idea, um, the, the view of salvation happened where you see Jesus life, death, resurrection. Um, and we, we come alive to that. We wake up to that. We, uh, we move from darkness to light in that. Right. Yeah, that's exactly right. And and that it's not just like, whoa, I, I signed my Gideon's Bible, now I'm good. It's like, well, no, I, I live in daily surrender to his care. And so today, again, I'm going to trust him with my life and my soul. Yeah. And I'm going to follow him. Or maybe I won't. And then I need to reorient each time I, I get waylaid. So with that, is there, this is, how do I say this in a different, a non-Baptistic term? Um, you can use it about use a Baptistic yeah. term. Uh, so <laughs> he understands the language. Yeah, I know. <laughs> well, I'm just thinking about there, there. Still within each individual, those there, there's the intentionality of 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 entering into following Jesus and following Christ. Uh, yeah, and it's, and and it's part of that, just moving into it. You're, the Spirit has stirred you. It's moved you. You you are accepting that on a regular daily basis. Versus put it on a calendar, never live in Jesus' following way again, but say, I've done it. There, there is intentionality in it. Yeah, intentionality. And I would, we use the word participation. I, and so this, would, this became an issue in the West where it's like, no, it's by grace alone, not by works. It's like James says, well, uh, actually, there's a synergy, God's grace and your participation in his grace. And that's why Martin Luther tried to have James removed from the Bible. He didn't like that synergy. It wasn't grace alone enough. Well, we wouldn't say we believe in works salvation, but we definitely believe that we participate in what God has done for us. And I, and I think actually in practice, so do Baptists. Yeah. That's good. Okay. All right. Is there, what, what else? Is there another one in that? I Yeah. So, I know as a young Baptist, I, I felt like I was in a in a sensory deprivation chamber in my church. There was nothing to look at, nothing to touch, nothing to smell. I had to sit still on an oak bench and keep my yap shut. Um, but at the same time, we would have we would have really despised the Orthodox as being so religious because they're wearing robes and there's incense going and there's all these icons on the wall. And, and, and what I want to say is, well, what's going on in, and we would have called that dead religion and we would have seen it as ritualism and so on. Um, but, and, and that condemnation came out of the Puritan movement. They didn't even want you to pray the Lord's prayer because it, it wasn't spontaneous enough, you know? <laughs> um, but I want to say from the Orthodox point of view that the liturgy is is a passion play every Sunday that walks you through the drama of redemption from Adam to Christ. And it, and it immerses 
you in all your five senses. So you are tasting, touching, smelling, hearing, um, chanting, uh, singing, and and many of the Orthodox churches don't have pews. So children, it's what looks very formal to a Baptist is actually super child friendly. Like the toddlers can go light candles and kiss icons and have communion and 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 there's so much color in the room and all of this is about a passion play why is that guy wearing robes well because he's he's acting the part of jesus oh okay and now he's coming out of these gates what's that oh he's opening up paradise for us okay well what's and what's with all the what's with all these saints on the walls these dead people they're not dead this is the cloud of witnesses. We're worshiping with them. Hebrews 12 says so, you know, well, what's with all the smoke? It's like, well, because it's, we're, we're reenacting that the the heavenly courts. And so if you can think about it as an interactive play where the people's part is you have a script so you can participate all of that um, to me, to me now, uh, maybe there, maybe there's people with, who just go through it mindlessly. I sure don't. For me, I feel the wonder of a child. And there's this great quote um, from Hans Urs von Balthasar. He said, tradition is handing down the fire, not um, the maintenance of ashes or something like that. (laughs) You know, so, or the veneration of ashes. So there's something really beautiful about this that I get caught up in. I'm like, Oh, I'm so glad I don't have to sit on an Oak bench. And, um, I, I'm so glad that I, I can feel the texture of the candles and smell the beeswax. And I, like, I love that stuff. And that maybe it's not for everyone, but for me, after burnout, it was really therapeutic. I love the picture of the pa- of the of passion play. Yeah, I mean, yeah. and I think about yeah. life, li- living life, you know, within the Trinity. To me, I always look at it, it's a it's a beautiful dance. Yeah. Right. And and it doesn't really whatever tradition you're in, you're coming in and and you can look at it as you don't participate no matter what you do. You're just numb to it. So again, yeah. the intentionality of whatever, whatever moves those senses to experience your involvement in your play or your understanding of what you're entering into and that, what that relationship looks like is it's revival within the soul. Right. Yeah. yeah. But really I'm not, I'm not, I've not heard it in part of your participating in the, in a passion play experience. I, I like that term. Yeah. yeah. No, I haven't heard that either. In fact, I've, I've uh, gotten on YouTube, uh, which is always great. And, uh, <laughs> but they, they, there's plenty of videos that will walk you through like a service or something like that, just to show you what, what things are like, whether it's Catholic or Orthodox or whatever. Um, and I've, I've never heard that helps, that helps to frame the whole thing. Like I'd never heard that. No one on those things had ever se- uh, given you that kind of lens to see that. Um, and in a service like that, that that's, that's what that is. Uh, and the participation, I mean, and throughout the whole Hebrew Bible, you have people interacting, um, using, engaging all of their senses, you know. Yeah, when we lived overseas, we went to, uh, of course, we had house church model, but on certain times, we would attend the Anglican church mm, yeah. uh, within this particular country. And I remember uh, we, the, the, the pastor and his wife, they were the most free-flowing people and full of joy and spirituality. And he would get up there and of course he had the robe on and he would lead. And next thing I know, it was a shock to my system on the first Sunday that I see her join him up there with uh, batons and colorful banners. And, and she just enters into this dance as she's singing and worshiping. And, and it's like, it was something like, as you would say, as you know, like what is going on here, but yeah, and began to see like that's that picture of that dance. It was just entering into her celebration, her expression of this freedom to be able to dance, to move of what Christ has done in that. And so, yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, yeah, uh, Brad. So, um, how uh, how far back what what happens in the Orthodox Church today? How far back? Obviously, you, it would go back to the apostles. I think would be would be an answer. But um, like the service, the design of the service, does that go back three hundreds? Is that um, that's hard to say? I mean, when when I'm when I'm part of a service, um, it's it's we always call it the the uh, divine liturgy of Saint John Chrysostom, who is late three hundreds, and he was he had edited 
the Divine Liturgy of St. Basil, which is also very similar to what's called the Divine Liturgy of St. James, the brother of Jesus. Now, did James actually compose this? Um, I suspect it's also 4th century, but um, here's the idea, that it is a memory of how James had transposed Jewish liturgy into Christian liturgy, where Christ is the fulfillment of Jewish worship. So there are things that we picked up definitely from Jewish worship. So for example, by the time of Jesus, there was this big thing about a celebration of lights with lamps, where um, in at least in the Greek language, that, that the word mercy and lamp and oil and olive oil and all of that, it, there's a pun. So they have something called the polyelion, which is the many mercies or many lights. And that goes back to um, the Maccabean revolt between the two Testaments where the Jews uh, came out of bondage and started celebrating what we call Hanukkah now. Well, the Christians picked this up at some point and, and said, actually, yes, we Christ is the light of the world and he's the ultimate deliverer from the from bondage and so we're going to have this chandelier and it's full of lights and you swing it around and so so at least we pretend that we got this stuff right from the first century where james is helping his people see the continuity between and, and the fulfillment of judaism into christianity um uh, i have suspicions that it that, that there, there's a lot more fourth century culture going on there than first, but I, I just find it absolutely beautiful. And we, and we should not escape the fact that Baptists absolutely have a liturgy. I, right. you know, we did the very same thing every single week and had the same number of hymns. We had the announcement time, we had the prayer time, all, all of that was, that's a liturgy too. It's just a different one. Right. Um, and and so we called it the order of service. It was the same thing. <laughs> right, yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's switch it around real quick. Oh, wait, do you have one more? Oh, do you got I another? Do, I do okay. have one more, I got to say. Okay. 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 Dude, the rapture is not a thing. <laughs> that, that, that's, a, that's an invention from the 1800s by Kirby. You know? Um, so, oh, you dropped fact, it. You just dropped it. <laughs> in, in fact, don't even get your our eschatology. That means our theology of end times doesn't come from the book of Revelation. We have the book of Revelation in our Bibles, but um, it, it was not formally included until after the Nicene Creed was written. In other words, our theology or our dogma was set before we included the book of Revelation. So we use a much more powerful telescope to look into the future. What is it you ask? Well, I'm glad you asked. Um, <laughs> it's two things. Um, our eschatology comes from the Mount of Transfiguration, where we behold Moses and Elijah and Peter and James and John all gathered around the feet of Jesus, who is tra transfigured, and he's going to transfigure the whole cosmos. And then second, we would look way into the future, because uh, in Book of Revelation, you're still dealing with processes, many of which probably happened in the first century. But 1 Corinthians 15 looks even beyond the coming age into the end of the ages where Christ hands the kingdom over to his father and God is all and in all. So that's like, so I would say that's been a massive shift for me moving from Baptist to Orthodox is just letting go of futurism in my book of Revelation, using it only for worship and a call to faithfulness in the midst of empire. And instead getting my end times vision from an icon of the transfiguration. It's a huge shift. Mm, and uh, yeah. I thought I better mention it. Yeah. Time, time would not permit, but that would be yeah, a be greater a other, conversation yeah, of what has taken place in 2020 yeah. and how people are viewing yeah. in light of global events yeah. and changes and yeah. theories and everything yeah. else. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah. That's being, that's being. Right, so Those devil chips you're getting with your vaccination and all yeah, that. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Thanks, Bill Gates. So I have to ask real quick, I know we don't have a lot of time here, but um, was there one of those when you were, when you were moving toward the Orthodox tradition, what was there one of those that were, were a bigger struggle than others? Not, uh, not a bigger struggle, but a bigger bombshell was, yeah. was the, 
penal substitution. My, I thought that was the gospel. In fact, the Southern Baptist Convention does not recognize penal substitution as a theory of the atonement. It says it's the gospel. And if you don't believe this, you're not a Christian. And, and, uh, but Archbishop Lazar, this monk, he, he said, wait a minute, you believe that God was not free to forgive sin, but he had to commit a child sacrifice through violence in order to appease his wrath before he could forgive you? And I'm like, uh, that's crass, but yeah, <laughs> I did. I, I defended that in my master's thesis. Got a B plus on it, by the way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he said, um, he said, I see your problem. You worship Molech. And I'm like, what? You mean I don't have to believe that God was punishing his son and and he was behind the torture? You know, and, and he's like, no, you must not believe it. You mean, I mean, you mean if I were Orthodox, that's not, he goes, there's 350 million of us and not one of us is permitted to believe that. I'm like, sign me up. So yeah. it was like, it was a big deal, but I was really, really ripe to let that point of view go. Yeah. So if anything, I've overswung. I'm like an ex-smoker now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's good. All right. So let's All talk. Right. Let's talk about the few things that you see in terms of Baptist theology that uh, Orthodox could learn or take from the Baptist tradition. Well, if time permits, I have four that okay. are yeah. important yeah. to me. Yeah. Um, let's do it. Uh, first of all, the there are many, many in the Orthodox Church who think they're the one church the one true church. I'm like, what, are we a cult now? Because that's what the Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons told me this week at my doorstep. And then I just tell them about my Baptist uncle from Czechoslovakia who was tortured for his faith, um, defending the gospel in a time of communism. I mean, literally tortured in a, in a camp. Meanwhile, there were Orthodox priests who were part of the KGB. I'm like, don't tell me my Baptist uncle was a second-class Christian. Mm, yeah. um, that I get really offended about that. Yeah. And, and that even this, for some among the Orthodox Church, some, many, um, thinking that they're the one true church means that they're anti-ecumenical, which also the Baptists were. In other words, we're not to fellowship with those guys. Uh, we're not to fellowship with Catholics. We're not to pray with them. We're not to, we're not to, we're to regard Baptists as sectarians. And so I'm, I always get in their face about that. I just think the Orthodox need to wake up uh, and, and happily there are some who say, well, we know where salvation is, but we don't know where it isn't. So they're more open. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, do you want to respond to that or shall I go to the next one? Yeah, no, no I think you can go to the next yeah. one. That's, yeah. that's yeah. clear. Yeah. It's good. Yeah. Yeah, appreciate it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the next is like my dad's a still hardcore Baptist, and he is he's majorly an evangelist. He he can't get his hair cut without telling someone about Jesus, you know. Or he'll go to city squares with his baritone. He's eighty years old, and he'll you know play his play Amazing Grace in the street corners to the homeless people, you know. And he just can't help himself. Well, there was a. I think the Baptists really need to help the orthodox remember how to do evangelism evangelism for orthodox used to be a thing like they there was a couple guys kirill and methodius went up from thessalonica they were orthodox and they evangelized all of eastern europe translated the bible into their language russia became officially an ortho a, a christian nation through that their evangelism the Orthodox have completely forgotten how to do that. They think evangelism is recruiting disgruntled Baptists. I'm like, that's not it. That's really not it, you guys. Um, when I when I shifted over, that wasn't evangelism. <laughs> you know, yeah. I was having a, I was reimagining my faith. Yeah. But don't think that's evangelism. So I, I think, uh, and, and so Archbishop Lazar when he was really hoping that as a, as an ex evangelical, I would just bring my whole previous church into the Orthodox church with me. And he was really disappointed when I didn't, yeah. he was thought that was kind of the point of me coming over was to bring this, all these people. They're like, we're not going over there. And um, so I, I think a reawaken now that probably Baptists need to rethink how they do evangelism, mm. but at least they have the impulse mm -hmm. and yeah. about sharing good news to, lost and broken people and that's that's too rare among the orthodox mm. interesting yeah yeah good well, what else scriptures uh you know my uh 
I was taught to read the whole Bible. My, my Baptist grandma uh, read the entire Bible every year, probably since the time she was 17 into her, until she was 93. I mean, she knew scripture. She, she didn't necessarily know how to put it together, but she sure knew it. Um, I, I know a lot of people in, in the Orthodox Church who I don't believe they, they read scripture at all. Uh, they they pray it for two hours every Sunday because liturgy is just mainly praying scripture together. So they, they're hearing the scriptures every single week. Um, some of them do have a, a daily practice of, of praying specific Psalms. But as far as opening your Bible and digging in, um, you know, Baptists are pretty amazing at that. Mm-hmm. And, and there's a, there's a, I remember as a, it was as a Baptist that I read the whole Bible and I had, I had notes on every margin of my Bible. Um, I have a dear friend in the Orthodox church who she says, I love when you preach because you talk about how the old Testament feeds into the new Testament. She says, I've never read the old Testament before, you know, now this is like a 50 year old who's been in church since she was a baby. Yeah. Never yeah. once read the old Testament. I'm like, you could learn from the Baptists about this. It's worth doing. Yeah. Why, why do you think, why do you think that is? Why? Well, here's the upside. Yeah. They never read the Bible. They, they believe that to read the Bible as scripture is to read it as a community in the context of that passion play of the gospel. In other words, what frames the Bible for them is not leather bindings um, where you just open the book anywhere and read it devotionally apart from the big story. So the upside for Orthodox is we're never going to do that. We're only going to read the scriptures within the framework of the Emmaus road, which is how Moses, the prophets and all the scriptures point to the passion and death of Jesus. That way, whatever you read, you're always reading it during worship among the people of God with reference to the gospel that that's an upside. So I think it probably feels like getting in over your head. If you atomize scripture and read something out of context on your own at your bed stand. And Mm -hmm. so they'd be hesitant about that with some good reason. Yeah. Um, But, but it also means that they're not as biblically well in some ways they're not as biblically literate. They wouldn't recognize a scripture that you would. You'd, I could probably cite a whole bunch of scriptures and you guys would know what chapter I'm talking from. They, they don't even think that way. So, Interesting. Yeah. yeah. All right. And your final one? Okay. So, like, I think in with regard to prayer, um, I really, I, I love the combination of spontaneous prayer and liturgical prayer. I, I've, I've synthesized them in my own prayer life. Baptists are way too scared of liturgical prayers, forgetting liturgical prayer is praying the Lord's Prayer. It is praying Psalm 35, Psalm 103, Psalm 51, you know, like, so it's not, and even some of the beautifully crafted theological prayers, that's where we should be getting our theology. Well, on the flip side, the, I, I think that that the orthodox could really benefit from uh from sitting at sitting under some baptist prayers you know like that spontaneous heartfelt intercession that my mother taught me and so as my dad taught me to love the scriptures and evangelism my mother taught me to love prayer and that before the fear of hell entered my heart i already had a living connection with jesus and when i would pray as a little baptist boy in my bed at nighttime i felt that connection i was absolutely plugged in for sure and and it was you know (laughs) my only liturgy at that time was if i die before i wake i pray the lord my soul to take but you know um, mostly it was it was it was a lot of uh heartfelt intercession that was spontaneous conversation with God that got even better as a charismatic when I discovered God might actually respond, you know, and, and it was a conversation then, but yeah. yeah, I, for the Orthodox that are only using red prayers, um, I hope they're feeling that living connection too. I, I think many of them do, but what about talking to them like a friend does while you go for a walk? Um, I learned that from my Baptist um, brothers and sisters. Yeah. So uh, that's good. 
I'm just listening to these, you know, nine different areas or, or ten that we kind of talked about, and just how, man, how does that look in your? How does that look like in your daily life that that you take both of these Orthodox and both Baptist kind of traditions or disciplines or whatever? I mean, what's the rhythm of your spiritual life as you employ from both sides? Um. Yeah, it's not a. I don't have a very good rhythm. I'm not good at rhythm, but I, I would say um, I I pray a lot of the um, conversational prayers, for example, as I go for walks. Mm-hmm. I pray a lot of the liturgical prayers at night when I'm when I'm going to bed, and in the middle of the night. Um, and then, so in terms of prayer, that's how that works. Uh, in terms of because I'm also a theologian i'm doing a lot of, of of my you know personal study of the scriptures as i would have as an evangelical um, but now i'm just i'm consulting what the church fathers taught about those scriptures and how they how they saw them all the scriptures as uh, as part of the gospel narrative in a much more profound way that we we do not enter the old testament without jesus as our sponsor and as the point and tell off of the reading. So I, I, I love combining that. Um, when, when I used to have mentors as an evangelical and now I have priests and a Godfather and that's, that part's just the same, really. It's also interesting because it would probably be different in my home if my family were all Orthodox, but my wife is a pastor in a, in a, an emergent kind of church. And so so we have very different spiritualities, but we also listen to God together when, you know, as, as needed, but it, we don't do like the traditional, like, okay, we're going to have our daily devotions together as a couple that's never actually worked for us very well. Yeah. 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 yeah I just yeah. think it's, I'm just listening to these things and thinking, what does it look like to intertwine the spiritual disciplines of our faith and, you know, not be fearful of praying liturgical prayers or running from those or yeah i don't know another term besides mixing the pitches up a little bit go back to the baseball <laughs> term right yeah yeah, yeah. To, to create renewal to create revival to create learning and i'm thinking about some you know some of those things as as takeaways uh brad what are you currently like uh working on right now is there one particular thing that you're spending time in that uh yeah, I have a book coming out in July. In fact, you can pre-order it now on Amazon or Indigo. And it, it's called A More Christ-Like Word, um, Reading Scripture the Emmaus Way. And so the point of that book is that actually Jesus is the Word of God. And when we read the Scriptures, we should learn to read it in the way that um, the early church read it. Because the whole conservative liberal debates that's just a 19th century um, intrusion of modernity across both liberal and conservative churches and what what it did was it it sort of it stopped reading the bible the way the apostles did so i'm i'm looking at how how we can do that and in that sense it's a, a hermeneutics book that tells my journey and hermeneutics meaning um, the interpretive system of Jesus and his apostles and the early church. And so it makes sense to me to read the Bible the way that those who gathered the Bible would have read it. And they, they actually do explain how to do it and they demonstrate how to do it in a way that we're meant to follow. But we, I think, you know, we're all so progressive. We just thought they, they can't possibly have anything to teach us. We've really arrived at these great modern approaches and mm. so we're all scared of allegory while paul is using it and john is using it all over their scriptures yeah. so and it's how we read the bible as gospel the yeah. whole bible becomes the new testament when we read it through jesus and that's so that's i'm really pushing that right now because i i feel like um i haven't arrived but they they have something to teach us and i'm happy to be a kiosk for their teachings yeah and that, there's some other books in that series that Christ like uh, things that you have written on, talked about previous too. But uh, this should be a, a good read. You find that on Amazon and other places. Where else can people connect with you? Um, so there's a website called bradjersak.com. And I'm also on 
Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter as Brad or Bradley Jersak. And that's J-E-R-S-A-K dot that's com. Right. Yeah. Brad com. So yep. just some great takeaways. Yeah. Just the, yeah. I, I mean, Brad, what did, Hoffman, what are you thinking in terms of... <laughs> uh, yeah. I'll go by Bradley too yeah. today. So uh, that's yeah. Even, no, yeah. no, I just, I mean, there's so much there in, in, and you almost have to invite a different conversation with several of these. Um, but I think for me as well, I love how, Brian, you wanted to kind of parse this between kind of a comparison or what, what Orthodox can learn and Baptists can learn about each other too. Um, I think there's a whole nother conversation with people that have a tendency to tribalize that the idea is that um, no tradition or its practice is perfect. And so from that standpoint that um, we all have a sense of deficiency, but there should be an appreciation for interpretation that's different than yours and, and maybe it's not about how you interpret this, but if you're following Jesus. And so, you know, that's the following Jesus. And following Jesus may look a little bit different, uh, depending on the tradition, the practice that you're in. Um, but also, I'm th- sitting here thinking, because I'm, I'm thinking about lots of different people from different traditions. Um, I think there is a, a need to build bridges rather than burn them. And so when I think about how different faith traditions interact with each other, not to label them, but to see them as Jesus followers, just in a different tradition. And that's all yeah. good. You know, I think to think that you're the only one that's going <laughs> to, it's like, no, that is cultic, you yeah, know? Yeah. And so it's not, it's not being down that road. So that's a whole nother conversation, that was, but that's just, that was I'm a massive away. learning curve for me when we lived overseas and I saw Jesus followers with different practices than me. Yeah. That was like one of the first confessions yeah. in, in yeah. understanding people's disciplines and how they pursue Christ passionately and probably greater than I was, but because you weren't my tradition, yeah, yeah. I needed to give you the uh, the old four four steps. Right, right. <laughs> you know, kind of thing. So yeah. I love the conversation yeah. learning. I mean, yeah. And I love the interpret, and I'd love to have a conversation more about the interpretation because I heard you speak uh, on a podcast recently, uh, and it may have been recorded some time ago. Um, I don't know the actual time frame of it, but um, just a great um, talk on interpretation. And so I really appreciate that. That was uh, extremely insightful and valuable um so maybe a conversation down the road about that maybe a follow-up yeah. would be great yeah. so yeah absolutely yeah that's yeah, great good luck too yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. thank Brad, you very much yeah thanks so much for taking your time to be with us on absolutely. the reimagine podcast and thanks for joining us on the reimagine podcast as always you can follow us on itunes spotify overcast and download any of the episodes and share and rate them you can check us out on the reimagine podcast website at reimaginecast.com So for Brad and Brian, I'm Greg. Thanks for listening to the Reimagine Podcast.